I'm Gabriel Spitzer, host of Transmission, a podcast about life at the heart of an epidemic. And I'm Will James, host of Outsiders, a podcast about homelessness. And we're doing this together today because um, we're really interested in the convergence of these two crises. When all this started, the first thing that came to my mind is what happens when a pandemic strikes in the middle of a homelessness emergency? Good to be with you, at least all virtually. This, this past Monday, March 16th, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom of California went on Facebook Live and was talking to people about the coronavirus and the response and also who's died from it. Uh, though just in the last number of hours, two additional individuals have passed away. Uh, one individual, homeless individual. Uh, in, it was the uh, first confirmation I'm aware of, of someone who's homeless dying of the coronavirus, of COVID-19. And it was a moment I've kind of been bracing for. Obviously, homelessness is a massive issue in in California, as it is here in the Pacific Northwest and in cities all up and down the West Coast. And you've chronicled that um, really remarkably in the podcast Outsiders. Um, So at As you look around a place like Seattle or Tacoma or Olympia, where your podcast sort of centers, it raises all kinds of questions about what happens to folks who are completely unsheltered, who are living in tents. What happens to them when everyone is told to stay inside? So I set outsiders in the city of Olympia, Washington, and I I use Olympia as kind of a microcosm to explore homelessness and issues that are happening up and down the West Coast. And... Homelessness is very, very visible in Olympia and has been for more than a year now. And so the other day I drove down to Olympia just to sort of see how the coronavirus has changed the homelessness emergency and the response to it in that city. There's a sign on the door that says our store is temporarily closed. So it is closed. When I got to Olympia, what was obvious was that it's like a lot of cities right now. Everything is closed. Everything is quiet. So the Starbucks is closed. That's where a lot of homeless people spend time just to sit at a table for a while or use the bathroom. The library's closed. That's another refuge for homeless people during the day. But what really struck me was that the community care center was closed. So usually this yard outside the day center is packed with people sitting at these tables. Usually the day center itself is packed with people sitting on couches and sitting on the floor. But there is no one here right now. It's totally empty. The gate is closed. In fact, it had just closed down that day that I was down there. I'm wondering where people are going to use the bathroom, where they're going to wash their hands with this place being closed. And it was just really striking to see the place completely emptied out, to see the gates closed. And there were a bunch of people just milling around in the parking lot, kind of just figuring out where to go. There was even a couple people laying down in the parking lot. I ended up talking to a woman who was sitting across the street, Elizabeth King, who's homeless and who has relied on the community care center in the past. Because I don't get any services, I don't, I don't get, uh, I, you know, I don't even have food stamps. I'm going through a divorce, so I was just like, well, here are the resources. So, you know, it's just really, really rough. Where have you figured out how to use the bathroom out here? Like, well, today Interfaith, a church was open from 10 to 1, so I went over there and went to the bathroom, and then I went over to Union Gospel and got lunch, 
And then now I'm just going to wait here because someone said there's people coming to help us, I hope. Who? That's what I said. I said who? And, you know, I don't know, like Community Action Council maybe or if, if we could get some people interested, you know. You know, she was telling me about all the things that people rely on that building for. There's about 300 to 400 people who depend on this place for their mail. I mean, all their mail comes here. Our mail comes here. We get packages here. Our families, a lot of us don't have phones. And all the services we signed up for, like follow-up visits for because they have a medical clinic, we can't go there now. So it's just a, such a big blow. So with no bathrooms, no place to wash hands, and no places for people to be generous, then really it just seems like I'm nervous in the pit of my stomach. Like, what's going to happen if people get drunk and angry? Or are they going to start breaking windows? Or at what point do we say, hey, we need to do something like now? Like pop-up tents, give away sleeping bags, whatever it takes to show that we're not complete, you know, <laughs> jerks. To her, it looks like people just aren't washing their hands and not able to follow these guidelines in any way. And it makes her really, really worried. What she talks about is her hope that someone puts out these portable hand-washing stations. And these are kind of these hard plastic uh, fixtures, kind of like the sink version of a porta potty. They have water and soap. Uh, did you actually see any of those, like deployed yet, or is that off in the future? No, that you know, in California right now, it's a reality. In Seattle, it's a plan. In Olympia, it's kind of a hope right now. And I'm just curious. I mean, were people still like busking and and asking for for money on the streets and stuff like that since there's virtually no pedestrian traffic right now like what does that do to that one very limited source of income that a lot of people have yeah that's really interesting because on any given day in downtown olympia there are people you know asking for money or begging for money or busking and right now olympia like a lot of cities is really really quiet downtown one of the only people I saw downtown was a guy named Wild Bill. His real name is William Crow. You always just sort of see him in downtown Olympia with his guitar uh, playing music for tips. He's got this like wide-brimmed hat he flops on the ground for people to throw dollars into. And when I walked by, his hat was totally empty. I asked him, I said, you know, is this affecting you? Is this affecting your ability to get tips? And he said, yeah. Yeah, we got, well, of course he does, man. But the thing of it is, the odd thing is, a million people could walk by and get zero, and one person could walk by and get a, whatever, you know, 20 sometimes. I've had this happen. Can you, can you just say a little bit more about, like, kind of where his head's at? I mean, is he despairing, or how's he feeling? Yeah, so... Wild Bill is in his 60s, and he seems to know that he's vulnerable, and he's camping off by himself. Elizabeth, though, that, that first woman I spoke to, said she was planning on staying in a shelter that night and was pretty nervous about it. Uh, yes, it makes me extremely nervous because you're not, it's not just the virus, it's, it's the, the, the people that stay there, like, you know, they don't have good hand-washing procedures, they're not sanitary, a lot of them. So that's the thing, is that... I, yes, I'm afraid of staying at the shelters. However, it's, it's, I, I just can't abandon mankind, you know? And so that gets to another really major point when you talk about coronavirus and the homeless population. This major piece of advice, this idea of social distancing, it's not realistic for homeless people or for people who work closely with them. 
homeless people are almost always served in these crowded environments like shelters and day centers. The city of Olympia even has something called the mitigation site downtown. This is a a sanctioned tent city packed into this repurposed parking lot. And I talked to a guy named Brandon Alt who works for the city and helps manage the mitigation site. Um, tell me, so you were actually literally taking their temperatures today? Yes. With what, like a head thermometer? Yes. Um, any signs of illness there? At this point, no. And what he's been doing is checking everyone there for symptoms, you know, taking their temperature, asking them about respiratory symptoms, and giving everyone a bracelet to kind of signify that they've been screened. Uh, Meg Martin, Executive Director of Interfaith Works. And it turns out shelters all around Olympia are using that exact same tactic. Yeah, so we, everybody that we screen every day, we're giving a different color wristband. So Party Cities, thank you. Shout out to Party City. We've all been clearing them out of wristbands. Each day we're doing a different color so that that way nobody um, can come into either the shelter um, without the proper color wristband. So I think today we're going to switch to orange, but we've been doing a different color every day. I got yellow for tomorrow. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have orange. I think it's not when a big of a deal now. housed people are showing symptoms, they're encouraged to basically go home and hunker down. And what about homeless folks? If they get turned away from a shelter because they have a fever, what happens to them? This is a really, really complicated question. So the guidance for shelters is for beds to be six feet away from each other. In Meg Martin's case, with the Interfaith Work Shelter, if she were to follow that guidance... We we would lose 17 beds in the shelter if we went to six feet of distance between it, because we're in the basement of a 100-year-old church, and we don't have the option to... She would lose 17 of her 42 beds, and so her shelter capacity would be cut almost in half. Those are the kind of decisions that providers are having to face right now. And I wonder, given the complexity of of the issues that a lot of these folks have, whether they're at higher risk anyway, like even in the best of circumstances. One of the reasons that the homeless population is such a concern for people dealing with the coronavirus is that so many people who are homeless have pre-existing health conditions that make them more vulnerable to complications from the virus. You know, on a good day, you know, not during a pandemic, when you walk around a homeless shelter or an encampment, there's just a chorus of people coughing all the time. It's just a reality of homelessness that a lot of people are living in harsh conditions, they're not getting great health care, and a lot of them are sick. And... You know, a flu season is devastating in the homeless population. And you have a lot of people dealing with things like COPD, emphysema, even cancer. At the mitigation site in downtown Olympia, there's a guy named Alan who I've spoken to quite a lot. He's in his early 70s, and he has a pacemaker defibrillator in his chest. Have you heard about this coronavirus thing that's going around? I uh, see it popped up on my uh, phone, and... uh... But uh, I don't think I got to worry about it. If I do, oh well, everybody's got to die sometime. Well, I, I mean, it's... Man, it's, you know, I'm over the halfway mark, okay? I face reality. Both my parents lived to 74, and I haven't made it that far yet, but I think I'll make it quite a bit further than that. But, you know, so you have, you have some health conditions. You've got your uh, defibrillator in your heart. You're in close quarters with a lot of other people here. 
Do you worry about like if someone in the mitigation site gets sick and, and it, if it spreads or anything? I associate with four people, otherwise I stay in my tent with it zipped up. Until it hits here, I'm not going to worry about it. I was much more concerned about myself spreading the coronavirus to the people that I was interviewing. So the whole time I was trying to stand far away from them. I was trying to hold my mic farther away from them than I, than I normally would. I wasn't shaking hands. Yeah, and on that note, Will, I mean, not to get too inside baseball, but we've been really scaling back our our work in the field over the last week or week and a half um, to the point where most of us in the newsroom aren't going out to report at all anymore. Um, and I'm wondering how it felt to do that at this sort of stage in the game for you? Um, I was really worried about it, and I still am really worried about it. It's hard because I don't want to stop reporting on homelessness because it's important. And after this pandemic passes, we're still going to be in a state of emergency around homelessness and housing affordability on the West Coast and potentially in a very different economy as well. And it's really hard to report on homelessness without talking to people in person because most of the people I talked to this week, they don't have phones and they have sporadic internet access, probably no internet access now, now that the library and everything's closed. I don't know. It, I haven't figured this out yet. Yeah. Well, before we go, um, one thing I did want to ask you about is that um, there are a handful of of individuals that you have been following throughout the course of your reporting and, and on the podcast. Uh, and I know you were looking to, to catch up with a couple of them, and, and one in particular, a woman named Jessica, who anyone who's listened to the podcast has gotten to know and probably care a lot about. I was wondering if you found her. I did find Jessica yesterday. Um, the reality, Jessica's reality is that she's had a really difficult life, her experiences have kind of shaped her relationship to other people, and she tends to get kicked out of groups a lot and kicked out of encampments a lot. And when I ran into Jessica yesterday, she was actually in the process of getting kicked out of the encampment where she lives right, right now. Jessica, what's going on? Um, I'm being kicked out because people want to lie. You're being kicked out? Yeah. What, what, what um, the sort of the, the leader of that group was expelling her for, for kind of breaking the community rules they have in that encampment repeatedly. And so she was in kind of full meltdown mode when I saw her. She was really upset. Yeah, about it. Like I said, I'm an outsider that's trying to fit in somewhere that doesn't accept me. She was angry. When did, when did you hear about this? And... She was facing the prospect of getting kicked out of this encampment and thrust back into the streets of Olympia in the middle of this pandemic and this community-wide shutdown. So, like, That's the whole thing. I've been clean this whole time doing this and, like, with no support. <laughs> it's just, I, with this virus going around, it's a bad time for you to be out on the streets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's never a good time to be out on the right. streets, but it's, like... It's really bad right now. This is a crisis on top of a crisis. This is like if a pandemic looms over 
you know, a refugee camp or something. It's really an emergency. Well, I'm I'm really grateful for having gotten to know folks and gotten to know these issues in, in new and, and really intimate ways through the work that you've done, including the work that you did this week. Uh, so thank you for that, Will. Thank you, and, and thanks for transmission. And it's kind of cool to send this message in a bottle out kind of to the rest of the country and the rest of the world from the the center of the outbreak in the United States and give them a sense of what we're dealing with and, and maybe what's coming. Transmission is produced by the staff of KNKX, including Posey Gruner, Kevin Kniestead, and Jennifer Wing. Our executive producer is Florangela Davila. Special thanks to Matt Martinez and Kari Plogue. Outsiders is a collaboration between KNKX and the Seattle Times Project Homeless Team. It's produced by Will James, Viana Davila, Scott Greenstone, and Sidney Brownstone. The editors are Aaron Hennessy and Bethany Denton. Outsiders is made possible by grants from the Dennis A. Hunt Fund at the USC Annenberg's Center for Health Journalism, Studio to Be Seattle, and Jim and Beard Falconer of Seattle. Please consider giving both Transmission and Outsiders a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and you can send us feedback or a voice memo recording of how the pandemic is changing your life to outreach at knkx.org. I'm Gabriel Spitzer. Catch you next time on Transmission.